One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Cookbook Circle podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm Victoria. And we've set out to review the UK's most popular cookbooks, those that you probably have at home and haven't opened in a while. We take one cookbook each episode to cook from and to stress test, digging out their best recipes, bringing them to life again, and hopefully inspiring you to do so too. Hi, Hannah. Hello, Victoria. (laughs) Welcome back. Thank you. I love how you say that every time, like, I'm entering into your home. <laughs> you are, in a sense. So, Hannah, is there a cookbook that you'd like to tell us about this episode that isn't the one that we're talking about for the rest of the episode? I saw a really exciting one that is coming out in a couple of weeks, actually, from Anna Jones. Ooh. Do you have any of her other books, A Modern Way to Cook or A Modern Way to Eat? No, but I wish I did. They're really good. I bought one for my sister. I can't remember which. And they're just very smart. She is very clever in how she approaches books in that, like similar to the Tom Hunt one with the diagrams. She does a lot of that with like baked potatoes and loads of interesting toppings for them and just really simple stuff. But she's got a new one coming out. I think it's just called One. And it's One Pot, One Pan, One Planet. And it's one tray meals, suppers that are sustainable and pretty simple and quick. And it looks yummy. A couple of recipes that I spotted. A tahini broccoli on toast. Oh, that sounds great. That's two of my favorite things right there. Tahini toast, African peanut stew and some like Korean pancakes and stuff like that. So it all just looks really yummy. I think I'm going to have to put that one on my list. Yeah, that does sound great. And it will be all vegetarian, right? All of her cooking is vegetarian. Yeah, it looks like you can adapt a lot of them to be vegan as well. She has an amazing leek pasta recipe that I've made about 10 times where you shred the leeks long and thin so that they almost look like pappardelle or tagliatelle and then you slow cook (laughs) them and then you cook some pasta and you crisp up some, I think it's cannellini beanies. And then you, (laughs) (laughs) I cannot say cannellini beans. Yeah, you mix the leeks all in with the pasta. So it's like a little long stringy party. It's delicious. Wow. You should share that with me and our listeners. (laughs) But yeah, Anna Jones, 
is great. That looks like a really good book. And I think it's out at the start of March. Let's get it. Look at us, couple of sustainables. <laughs> the last two weeks we've talked about. <laughs> it is the future, apparently. So. So today we're not talking about Anna Jones. We're talking about a different book. But before that, let me just remind you what we do here at the Cookbook Circle podcast. What do we do? <laughs> Whole lot of nothing. <laughs> of giant shit so we scoured the internet for every list we could find of the best cookbooks ever and all those clickbait lists and we made a big long list and we decided to spend many hours and days testing these books that came up in the top few that were repeated again and again and we're sharing that with you through these episodes of the cookbook circle and this episode's book, Hannah, is Momofuku by David Chang. I have, in honour of this episode, been watching lots of Ugly Delicious on Netflix to just remind myself of his persona. I love that show. I liked the show, um, the other one, Breakfast, Lunch and Dinner Less. Have you watched that? No, I haven't watched that at all. He spends the whole episode with a celebrity and he goes with them to their favorite places in a certain city. Right. Yeah, it's really fun. And there's this episode with Seth Rogen and he's just stoned out of his <laughs> mind the whole time. <laughs> and he's got this laugh that is just obscene. And yeah, so anyway, that's, that's your next one. But that's also David Chang. So... Would you like to know a little bit about David Chang and my biased thoughts about him? <laughs> I only want bias. Don't give me any objectivity whatsoever. <laughs> if you came here for objectivity, you ain't going to get it. Switch off now. Tell me about him. So Mr. David Chang, born in Washington, D.C. in the United States in the late 70s to Korean parents. When he was growing up, he was a professional golfer, which I found interesting. Wow. I did not know that at all. Because he, he also taught English in Japan, didn't he? Yes, he did. So he decides that he wants to be a ramen chef in Japan after he finishes university, where I think he studies religion. So it's not it's not related. Wants to be a ramen chef. Ramen is a type of religion to some people. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, including my husband. So maybe we should have got him on as a guest today. So he, yeah, he teaches English in Japan. And I think this is when he gets kind of enamored with ramen and Japanese food. Comes back to the States goes to culinary school as so many of these stories start he doesn't go straight back to japan but that's his plan he works at a restaurant called craft for a couple of years fairly low down the ranks he goes back to japan he's gonna do it he sells all his stuff he quits his great job at craft and then he ends up in this ramen shop that his friend of his dad's has set him up with and it's just a bit of a shit show it's not anything that he ever dreamed of it's a bit of just a, a down and out kind of place in momofuku this book actually he says even if i could have figured out how to make it work in a pants optional kitchen <laughs> there were too many things going against the place and he talks about how there's too many shortcuts in the kitchen he couldn't have learned anything and that the chef at this ramen shop has a problem with refrigeration so a lot of the meat would just sit out on the side for a long time when he says pants pants confuses me slightly in its usage because i use it like a trouser and i think the americans do too but the ebrits you mean underwear right yeah but that is a direct quote so he's he's talking about trousers yeah so when he says meat is there's a lot of meat out. <laughs> He's talking about the food. <laughs> He's talking about the pork for the ramen. Okay, great. Okay, good to know. 
<laughs> so he leaves the ramen shop, goes to work for a soba shop, your favorite kind of noodle. My favorite non-slip noodle. <laughs> <laughs> but then that kind of comes to an end because he just doesn't have the same passion for for soba as he does for ramen. And I think the kind of soba chef kind of is like, please leave. Oh, um, in a, in a Not in a bad way, but just in a, I spent my whole life learning how to make soba perfectly and you don't even care. You only care about ramen. So he stays in Tokyo. He works at the Tokyo Grand Hyatt. says he, he learns a lot. I'm taking a lot of this from this book, actually. So it's, it's quite narrative driven. It's a lot of stories. So he goes back to New York and this is when he starts to kind of rub me up the wrong way <laughs> when he talks about going back to New York because he wants to work in a quote real kitchen again oh yeah and that just kind of annoyed me because well for obvious reasons that Japan has real kitchens so he goes back he's working in restaurants and then he decides to open what becomes Momofuku says he always knew that it's going to be called Momofuku this is the book of the restaurant which means it means lucky, lucky peach, peach. Right? yeah he also talks about in this book how it's very deliberate that it sounds like or looks like motherfucker. Oh. Because I think he is trying to make this restaurant work as a kind of antithesis of what fine dining is in New York. That's right. That comes through a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Even though he spent all this time working his way up in these fine dining restaurants, which again is a bit grating on me. So he talks about setting Momofuku up from like basically nothing. Talks about going to a clandestine Japanese strip club in New York to recruit strippers to come and eat there. What's the reasoning for bringing the strippers again? Does he think that everyone will follow the strippers? Yeah, I think he thinks that because they're beautiful Japanese women eating in his Japanese named restaurant, then lots of people will follow. And it sounds like him and his partner at that point go to this strip club the night before they're supposed to open and spend a lot of the very little money that's left in there. He was ahead of his time, really. This is the marketing <laughs> tactic that the rest of us just haven't caught on to <laughs> yeah, yet. Yeah, I'm taking that back to my day job. <laughs> Anyway, long story short, that restaurant Momofuku got great reviews and it started growing. People started coming, but also getting acknowledged. And he started getting acknowledged as this good young chef. And he seems pretty kind of embarrassed about that, I think, in this book. Yeah. He's given up this job at Danielle Ballou's restaurant and he's up against these people that are more in a more fine dining space than him, which is interesting. Yeah, I guess to his credit, he's quite self-deprecating about those nods that he got. And I think he felt a bit overwhelmed and young <laughs> yeah. to win them, but he was getting a lot of hype. But I don't think he's undeserving. I think he did an amazing thing. It's obviously, again, like a lot of these chefs that we talk about, like have kind of changed the game in his realm of cooking. He's just grown and grown and grown. More restaurants, more media, for example. He launched Christina Tosi's career, as we know. If you don't know, she's the, the milk bar founder, very influential chef who Hannah has a lot of thoughts about. I don't know if you want to give any of those. <laughs> Oh, thanks for that. <laughs> I, I have some thoughts. I mean, I don't know. I, I rewatched The Chef's Table with her in it last night, or half of it, before I fell asleep. Wow. <laughs> Seriously, no shade at her. I'm just an old person. So she's famous for things like crack pie mm. and the kind of naked cake thing that she does with lots of different textures and layers and the compost cookie that you've tried. So good. What's in a compost cookie? Everything. I think it's got 
got like coffee and pretzels and <laughs> it's just a bit of everything which I think is how it came to be and it's so good the one issue I had with her was that she was talking like she had reinvented cake mm. <laughs> in that episode and I thought it was a bit bizarre a bit much but actually when I rewatched it she doesn't come off like she doesn't have much grit she's very wholesome she spells out the word s-h-i-t you can definitely say that word you're on chef's table like everyone swears all the time and I think I was just struggling to kind of identify with her but to be fair she has done quite a lot and her food does look incredible and I've never really tasted any of it so who the fuck am I Cool. I'm a bit of a milk bar fangirl. I'm a bit of a David Chang fangirl, I have to say. Like, I, I'm kind of talking him down a little bit, and I don't know why I'm doing that, but well, I do know why I'm doing that, and I'm going to come to that. So, yes, he did a lot of media. So, Lucky Peach, which is obviously a very well renowned food magazine, now closed down, which he started with Peter Meehan, who also wrote this book with, mm-hmm. who is the ex food editor of the LA Times, I think. Ugly Delicious, like you said, which I think is also brilliant, has also come under some scrutiny for various bits and pieces that he has and had, hasn't said in that and how they've kind of portrayed different cultures' food. It is worth noting on a more somber note that David Chang does not have a good reputation within the food industry in terms of his employees. Uh, he's incredibly angry and aggressive in the kitchen. He mentions it in this book yeah. and that he he's recently brought a memoir out where he talks about it and there's a lot of accounts of his abuse, frankly, in the kitchen and there's a really interesting eater piece by Hannah Selinger who was his smolly for a while at Momofuku and just her account of it all and how it's affected her mental health and career since uh, in terms of her confidence and stuff is really shocking and she's talking about his most recent memoir which isn't this book where he does mention that he knows he's angry and he mentions it in this in Momofuku but he just doesn't take the same responsibility as maybe he should and he talks about having kind of rage blackouts and in that article on Eater, Hannah kind of challenges him and says, well, look, you spend three pages talking in detail about a recipe that you can remember cooking from 20 years ago in intense detail, but you can't remember talking to people the way you did. So it's it's worth noting. And I think it's fair to say, but I also think that this is, it's a culture thing in, in American kitchens, right? It's this really kind of almost glamorized, abusive kitchen environment that seems, I'm sure it happens in the UK and all across the world and I don't know why it's left to still happen yeah I would argue that it's not just the US I think it's prevalent everywhere and unfortunately there's just this weird culture of kind of alpha male chefs who throw their weight around a bit and you know want everything a certain way and I'm reading Kitchen Confidential at the moment by Anthony Bourdain again because you bought it for me (laughs) there's so many accounts of that and 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 it's very much like you should be kind of tough enough to to survive this or or, you know if you're not tough enough then get out this isn't the place for you I would like to think that it's changing but I saw a thing about Gordon Ramsay's new TV show where he's basically yes doing that that's his brand right he's he's just you know an angry man (laughs) and just getting angrier and Jay Rayner tweeted with disparaging comments about how like is this really you know what we're striving to do in 2021 it's absurd but I mean it's it's clearly still the case in a lot of kitchens I think it's going to take a long time to change and yeah it's shit 
because Gordon Ramsay, for example, like he was treated like that. Yeah. And and therefore he treated, you know, his and he made a whole yeah, like you said, career out of it, you know, like what's it called? Hell's Kitchen yeah. is is exactly that. And it's it's entertainment. And David Chang talks about it in this book about how that's what customers would say when he opened Momofuku, that he'd be screaming at his staff. And he talks this one time about how somebody in the kitchen very early on like called him out on it. He'd after he shouted at someone who was mopping the floor wrong. Mm. He says this person who was, I think, possibly their, one of their top chefs at that time said, you're never going to get people to work for you if you treat them like that. And then he quit. And then David Chang in this book says, I fired four more people that day. Whoa. I think he was right. And it's just like, well, you had that so early on, but you continued to treat people in that way. And then similarly to Gordon Ramsay, he still managed to make a career out of it. Because like you said, it's, it's this endemic kind of thing that you can only cut your teeth in a restaurant if you are if you go in you're treated like that yeah it's a lot it is a lot it, it's 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 not an excuse but i guess chefs are so creative and so driven they in order to succeed have to rally a whole team around them in order to do that and it's not like a regular business and i think mm. you get more of those strong personalities those really fiery binary personalities in mm. that they're they're kind of all or nothing and unfortunately yeah it's just it's like pretty much accepted which is a shame I think there's still a long way to go on that yeah I don't know what we do to change it but I wanted to talk about that because I think it's important to note yeah like I said I I was an am to some extent still uh David Champanga I love him I was really excited that we chose this book this book which was first released in 2009 to bring it back to the book so I'm talking about the chef <laughs> it's split into three sections which are noodle bar sambar and co which seems to be three sections of, of this point in David Chang's life. So when he opened Momofuku, he opened a restaurant called Samba and then he opened a more fine dining restaurant called Ko and there were, res- there were recipes from each bit of that. And the Ko recipes you would probably need to remortgage your house for. <laughs> Because you think it's yes. just simple <laughs> eggs and asparagus or egg dish and then it's just loaded with caviar. Or yeah. there's another one that has a ton of pine nuts, which is pretty much the same price as caviar. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the whole, that whole section to me was just like a beautiful thing to skim through and not actually anything <laughs> practical to make. Maybe we should start a campaign calling pine nuts vegan caviar. <laughs> because they're the same price it's a beautiful book though what did you think of the book it is really beautiful and i was so excited to get it because it's half memoir half cookbook almost Mm. and and those sections where he is writing about all the history that you just mentioned he writes really well like the Mm. writing is actually beautiful it did remind me of anthony bourdain in in some of the like quite dramatic male american tone and yeah and just their determination for running a great kitchen and and great food he's got like some beautiful lines in there familiarize yourself with the arc of doneness any kind of noodle travels <laughs> that's, that's some great shit to write about a noodle I yeah think. do you agree with that though what about a slippery noodle i haven't familiarized myself with the arc of the slippery noodle that's the problem i can't blame the noodle um it made me feel strong feelings those feelings were oh 
I I hated myself for being a vegetarian with this book. I genuinely felt such intense self-loathing because I know I'm missing out on amazing things. And like, I genuinely, I wish I could eat it. I just don't want to. And I I think it's safe to say that 90% of this book is meat-based in some form or another. So I, I was leaping through like, just shit. Like, I wish I could make that ramen. I wish I could make those buns. I wish I could make that banh mi. And I couldn't. I probably could have, but would it have been been doing it justice I don't know and then other feelings were that I just know fucking nothing about Asian food like you think you know (laughs) but you just don't know when he was teaching in Japan he he went to different ramen bars all the time and he watched them kind of do their mise en place and studied like what was different with each ramen and and there was so much and and even watching Ugly Delicious you appreciate the kind of different like regions and regions within those regions that have such variations and we'll just never know we're just busy over here eating fucking meat and potatoes But yeah, that's that's my counselling session for today. They're all my feelings. <laughs> what were your uh, first impressions? It's beautiful. And the similarly to you, like I got it and I was really excited about it. And I spent a lot of time reading it, reading what he was saying in those kind of memoir sections when I should have been doing something else for, for sure. <laughs> but it's because I love Asian food. Yeah. And I feel very similarly to David Chang about Japanese food in particular and because you've lived there right like that's worth calling out here (laughs) I know we like to make fun of you about it but there's more emotion for you connected to this absolutely and you know I talked about Simon Hopkinson not making me feel inspired by food and and that's largely how I feel about British food or you know to an extent like the the European standard French style cooking I'm not thrilled by it but (sighs) sorry sorry guys (laughs) Um, and and it's it's nice and it's great, but like this is my jam. That's your jam. Like, yeah. The the kind of fusion of different parts of Asian food, I think, is is also really interesting. I like the notes that he puts ahead of the recipes. Yeah. Uh, like you said, there's a couple where he he writes things like, "This is a great one to improve your knife skills because you're doing a lot of chopping." I'll tell you my favorite line. Um, oh. ahead of one of those is um I popped my meat glue cherry <laughs> yes yeah we should call out there's a whole section on meat glue which I I'm still a bit confused about what it is but lovely he's got a name drop for Heston Blumenthal in there doesn't he it's about it's just about various parts of the body <laughs> forming a meat glue but we can move on from that <laughs> there's a lot of pork in here there's a lot of ham there's a lot of pig yeah if you don't eat pork this is not the one for you <laughs> there's a pig head torsion in there as well yeah is that what, what you were gonna make if you, <laughs> you have a couple of pork heads in your freezer every week <laughs> when I break I break hard <laughs> <laughs> so what did you cook not the pork head spoiler no no pork head. tell us about what you cooked oh i've been having so many feelings on this i feel like i've phoned <laughs> this one in i feel really yes. stressed about Guys. it oh my god i'm such a goody two-shoes and i always do like minimum three recipes and this one i only did two and it's been <laughs> fucking killing me for the last few days <laughs> i did a panic run to the shop earlier i've been hunting for miso around for ages and I couldn't find it because I wanted to do this one dish with where you make like a miso butter with poached eggs and asparagus it's like a brunch thing could I find miso anywhere no (laughs) I've just been like beating myself up for it all that to say this is going to be a short section on me friends okay (laughs) 
But I try my best because there is really, like, as much as I appreciate it and how great it is, there is very, very little in here for vegetarians. If anybody's got the name of an appropriate therapist (laughs) to talk through some of these issues, (laughs) slide into our DMs. It's okay. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll stop apologizing. All right, I'm sorry. Two is more than enough. Fine. Okay. So I made the ginger spring onion sauce for noodles, which is sounds amazing. very simple. He talks about it very lovingly as this is one sauce that you just need to have around or need to have like the ingredients for. It's just a classic to have on noodles. It's super simple. You just mix spring onions, ginger, oil, soy sauce, sherry vinegar. You let it sit for a few minutes and it can keep for a day or two in the fridge. And then you literally just serve it with whatever noodles you want so it's very simple and you probably have a lot of it what you need in the store cupboard which you can't say for a lot of the recipes in this book absolutely not you really really can <laughs> and we will get to that I'm sure <laughs> unless you've got some shizo leaves hanging around but um yeah it's great it's fresh it's light it's delicious would you make it again I would definitely make it again because I always do the same kind of sauce for noodles mm. and this is just a good one to have in your arsenal. I suppose technically I did do three recipes actually because the way this book is laid out it is the, um, the kind of individual components of the recipe is its own recipe if that makes sense. So I made the fried or roasted cauliflower, I did fried, with the fish sauce vinaigrette as my other dish and that fish sauce vinaigrette he says it's like the ketchup or mustard or mayo of Vietnam all in one that it's just so vital mm. that the they have this in their kitchen or have the ingredients and I thought it would be really overpowering because there's so much fish sauce in it mm. it's like 125 mils I think Jeez. yeah it's a lot um, and fish sauce is, <laughs> is not the wallflower of um, <laughs> sauces <laughs> But it was great. It's really fragrant and delicious. And you literally then just fry off florets of cauliflower until they're brown. You're meant to fry some coriander as part of that dish as well, actually. And I failed hard at that because I had no patience to let the coriander dry. So it just kind of like clumps into a bit of a green lump. I mean, obviously, a fish sauce isn't vegetarian either. As a true vegetarian, I think you would really, really struggle in this book. Oh, yeah. I ate them together. I ate the noodles with the cauliflower and it was just a lovely light, predominantly white dish of food, (laughs) as you'll see when I post the picture. But it was it was great. And I I feel like you can get a bit um, if you think you're going to have noodles or kind of stir fry veg or whatever you're feeling, you can get stuck in a bit of a rut with what those vegetables are or the sauce that you put on them and this is a good way to to kind of change that at first the kind of recipe within a recipe making the sauces and onions or whatever separate annoyed me at first when I first did a read through but then like you just said like when you've actually got the sauce that is separate it so many of them and we'll come on to the one I made as well it just works in everything like I was putting it on everything and actually it's just a really nice they're all really nice standalone ingredients and that is many many plus points in my book for a cookbook you just keep making it and use it however you want to you don't have to use it exactly like it's prescribed in the book but you know you like it and it works on various things yeah and he totally encourages that before each recipe with that ginger spring mm. onion 
noodles recipe he says to have it with grilled meat or seafood or loads of different types of things so you said that obviously you're a bit sad that you couldn't make some of the meat things but do you feel like you Mm -hmm. were disappointed when you read through the recipes that there there wasn't more vegetarian did you expect that there'd be more vegetarian things it's hard i i did think there would be more because asian food is so exciting for vegetarians Mm. but there's a lot of kimchi and everything Mm. in here that i thought maybe there would be more options but every time there's kimchi there's bacon or there's some (laughs) kind of meat as well i was disappointed but i feel like i'm gonna be too nice about this i I feel like there's so much Mm. good in this book that it's it's just not meant for people like me and and he would not give a shit that (laughs) that, like i couldn't cook anything from it i'm sure he's that classic kind of chef type who just thinks vegetarians are a waste of space and that's fine (laughs) that it wasn't written for people like me and and you just have to admit that (laughs) let's put that on your therapist list (laughs) undeserving of eating nice foods <laughs> there were a couple of desserts that were definitely interesting. Christina Tozzi inspired, obviously, there's the cereal milk and there's the fried apple pie yeah. and there's shortcakes. And I would have made them and I would like to make them. I just didn't have the occasion. I was also just a bit stubborn by a certain point, actually. No, I was a bit pissed off. There was no vegetarian <laughs> stuff. We got there in the end. It's all coming out now. There was a point where I was just like, well, no, I'm not just doing this just because it's the only vegetarian vegetarian one this isn't fair so I was just like well no I'm not making the fucking shortcakes then yeah there's a lot of emotions there and the the dessert recipes aren't his recipes right there there'll be Christine Tosi's recipes because this would have been pre her rise to fame so she has her own book I want to make them up by her books okay David <laughs> anyway I think it's probably in the interest of everyone <laughs> that we move on to you and talk about what you made from this book what did I make? So I made two things. Only two. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> One doesn't even count because I fucked it up so badly we couldn't eat it. So... Oh. I'm a bit embarrassed about it. I'll be honest. Was it your fault? I don't think it's I don't think it's my fault, actually, David. <laughs> I think it's this book's <laughs> fault. And again, we'll come back to it. But let me just tell you about how okay. how I chose my recipes. So we've mentioned it before. The ingredients aren't, aren't generally things that you have around in your store cupboard, I would say. I had to do an order from a Korean supermarket, which I spent a lot of money on, which was fine. And I loved it. But this is worth calling out because we live in London and we're very lucky to live near loads of amazing shops. And I couldn't even find miso, for the love of God. <laughs> so like, I don't know what happened there, but... <laughs> I don't know either. It is not easy to find a lot of this stuff and you would have to do a special order. And it's very chefy in that aspect. Again, it's not very interchangeable. You can't be like, oh, I don't have Samjang, so I'm going to buy something else. Ketchup. I don't know. Obviously, this is kind of the frustration and difficulty is kind of doubled down because of lockdown. So you can't go and see the shops so yeah i did a big order from hmart not sponcon and uh <laughs> i had to buy a lot of stuff mostly to get to the delivery cutoff but also because there so what i'm trying to say is i chose my dishes quite tactically so that the ingredients were repeated and like i said one of them i messed up and one of them i'm thrilled to tell you about but before i do i have two comments about david chang's recipe writing or just recipes in general one 
That guy loves onions, man. I've gone through maybe a field of onions cooking for this book, for this book, <laughs> and I only cook two things. Honestly, like, and I I don't have the pans big enough. He's like, talking about you need two pans thirty centimeters wide, and I'm like, David, I do not have two pans. I I I have one, but yes. So onions, he loves onions, but you know, I'm keeping onions in business yeah. in 2021. And <laughs> what you can know pretty much for sure doing this is that he wants you to get the oil hot enough that it's not quite smoking. <laughs> oh my god yes that came up in mine yeah. as well every recipe but what the fuck is that can we yeah. talk about that for a I moment because that is an elute like that is that a feeling is that an emotion <laughs> i don't know that's what they t- teach you at the culinary institute of america <laughs> the exact point that oil is about to smoke <laughs> your chefy senses tingle <laughs> to tell you that is so true yeah that came up in mine okay are you going to tell us first about the one that went wrong or the one that yeah i can tell you about the one that went wrong so the one that went wrong is the spicy pork sausage and rice cakes so rice cakes here are kind of little cylindrical like mochis mostly it's a little cylindrical rice cake like a mochi that is popular in Korea and other Asian countries, but you might have seen it in the Korean dish topoki, which is like lots of them, and it's like in a spicy red sauce. They're delicious. They're kind of chewy, fun, great. So that's what I'm talking about, rice cakes here. <laughs> She's explaining this a lot because she just saw my blank expression. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're not the chocolate covered ones you get in Pret. No. They're delicious and they have really chewy, lovely, fun texture. I would say you get them in Japanese food more as like a sweet thing so Mm. as you might know them as mochi like stuffed with things or um covered in fun toppings but I think in Korean food they're much more savory used in soups and topoki and other things like that so this dish seems to be Momofuku's take on a marbu tofu so like a spicy tofu hot pot but it's obviously got pork in it because it's this book <laughs> and the end of this story is that it was so fucking spicy we neither of us could eat it like about one oh. centimeter past my lips and we were like this is unbearable what was bringing the spice well let me tell you. So the list of ingredients is almost a page long and there is no fewer in this recipe than 40 grams of dried chili. Whoa. And I saw that and I was like, that, is that a wrong. typo? Does he mean four grams? And no, because I found it online in various places and it's not. It, he means 40 grams. And I know myself pretty well. I can handle spice. But I was like, I'm not putting 40 grams of dried chili in there. So I put maybe 15, 20, still a lot. But on top of yeah. that, there's an entire tablespoon of Korean chili flakes and a whole tablespoon of Sichuan peppercorns which aren't spicy but they're like peppery and fragrant so that's three different types of spice and a lot of them so I think I might have messed it up because it doesn't say to chop the chilies up but I did because I wanted to get all of the seeds out of them so I chopped them into like pieces enough so you could like not eat them if you came across one but still it was it was insane basically it's like a it's like a bolognese sauce if that's what it kind of feels like because of the sausage meat so you mix that with the the chilies and then you've got these three big onions okay you have to like sweat down and which are really lovely then you yeah you just kind of boil them up in the sauce and you're good to go but you're not because uh it's like blow your brains off 
spicy talk us through the scenario so you're sitting with your husband so we're sitting i luckily made us some rice yeah. uh, as well because i was like i think this might be too spicy we both take half a mouthful and my husband kind of like <laughs> coughs a little bit <laughs> and always a good sign on the first mouthful when you when you cook for someone and then i do a kind of little like oh my god this is so spicy and then I get really moody and pissed off and (laughs) frustrated that I've spent a lot of time and money frankly on a dish that I'm gonna have to throw entirely in the bin did you eat another dinner so there was some tiny bit of uncontaminated with chili pork that we kind of quickly fried up but and then I went and had a little a little moody mood in my room for a few minutes to calm down (laughs) and I think I ate some cereal later on I'm very annoyed about it yeah I'll be honest I was really looking forward to it I love these rice cakes and I like marble tofu it has tofu in it as well you kind of you whisk up tofu at the end like soft tofu and pour it through um sounds disgusting and honestly I think a lot of these things in this book like don't look great in photos like I don't know I'm going to post my photo of this but that's him that's why ugly delicious came about because he said that he just made his peace with ugly food that it doesn't have to be pretty and I I'm firmly in that camp (laughs) it's exactly why I never made it to the heights as a pastry chef (laughs) as I had envisioned me too and you know often I do like edible food so that was a shame but this was the um so I think if you got rid of the chilies altogether would have been absolutely delicious like even the tablespoon of the chili flakes great I'll try it again with that but yeah it was uh, that was a bust and uh as you can see I'm still a bit pissed off about it we're both holding on to a lot of issues this episode (laughs) yeah (laughs) however the other recipe that I made was an absolute joy and luckily I made this prior to the the spicy disaster RIP my esophagus (laughs) (laughs) so the other thing I made was the roasted rice cakes I see a theme here yeah yeah so it's a recipe of recipes so have to make a few things to to get there but the end result is incredible and it's not hard so you have to make his roasted onions so you you cut you cook that you cook this mountain of onions 900 grams of onions down for about an hour yeah did you use your mini chopper for that one no i sliced them all myself wow yeah i know i'm i would be crying (laughs) yeah i I literally was i did it at lunchtime at one point and i was like god i hope i have to go to a meeting after this (laughs) looking like a jilted bride (laughs) yeah you sweat loads of onion down just kind of leave them cooking with themselves for ages until they're these like just gorgeous sweet for the recipe that i made the roasted rice cakes you actually only need 45 grams of them but you can keep that and he says you know you put them in sandwiches and you put them on and we did and they were delicious and then you make this i think it's called red dragon sauce which is samjang again just cooked up with water and sugar some soy light soy sauce and just kind of make that into a a lovely sauce which again we had way too much of for this recipe but we've kept it in i've put it in a stir fry and you could probably put it just on noodles or whatever like so nice not too spicy and then you basically just make this kind of glossy lovely sauce with that red sauce the red dragon sauce some onions some mirin oh i actually know what the extra thing is four tablespoons of ramen broth 
So he suggests you use the one that is in this book, but that's a like four day recipe or something. And like, absolutely not. Am I going to do that? Not for four tablespoons. No, or for, for anything because, <laughs> you know, I, I'd love to try it, but this podcast is about, you know, usability, etc. So I don't think it's, it would be a good use of anyone's time to make ramen. So I got a cheap packet ramen that was like 40p and just used oh, yeah. the just made the broth up and used it. And that is my tip for this. So if you use a vegetable ramen or a spicy, whatever, it would be vegan. So that's fun. Couldn't have passed that one along, could you? I wanted it for myself. <laughs> so you mix all that up, you make a lovely sauce. And then, so you've got the rice cakes and they're already made. So you fry them up. So they get this really like crispy outside and then they're really like soft and gooey on the inside. They kind of feel like a mozzarella stick. Ooh. Bite through this like crunchy outer layer and then, yeah, they're kind of gooey and soft and so good. You toss them in the sauce, some sesame seeds, some spring onions and you're good to go. And I was in heaven. It's That is my perfect food. It's like salty and sweet and kind of spicy and it's got all those great textures and I'd make it a million times again. And luckily I bought many bags of rice cakes from <laughs> the Korean supermarket. <laughs> so we will be having it again. Wow, that's high praise. Was there anything that you saw that you would like to make at a different time? outside of the world of this podcast if i wasn't doing my master's degree uh as well as working full-time then i would definitely want a lockdown project to be to do the ramen but otherwise the brussels sprouts kimchi and bacon i love sprouts i love kimchi mm -hmm. that looks good I love bacon um oh, some of the pickles yeah there's some really interesting ones like jerusalem artichoke pickles would love to try that um what else Obviously, the pig's head terrine. Really? <laughs> no. Oh, I do know my other one is, I think it's just called chicken and egg in here, but it's a take on yeah. oyakudon, which, fun fact about me, is probably my favorite Japanese dish. Wow. And he's got like, it's like crispy chicken. And actually, I tell you what, I think that he confies the chicken. And that that's why I didn't do it, because it needed a liter of oil. And I was like, hard pass on that. This is my problem with this book. <laughs> I didn't feel it when I first read it, but I feel it now. Of course he bloody confies the chicken. Like every step, every recipe has some element that really requires a, a very high level of dedication and commitment. Yeah. Apart from those noodles that I made and the cauliflower, I just took the two laziest recipes <laughs> I could in the whole thing. But every other recipe you are committing to making a Riesling gelée or like, you yeah. know something really chefy and and it did make me question who is this for is it yeah. for like the really dedicated home cook it's inspiring don't get me wrong it's amazing and it's, it's an excellent book but it's just so technical and so labor intensive and that is separate to the ingredients i think i think there's yeah. there's a critique that it's got ingredients that are hard to find yeah. And even if you have the ingredients, it's just labor intensive and time intensive and off-putting. I think you're right. And I don't know exactly why it appears so highly in like the best cookbooks of all time. I think probably because it's just so beautiful and it's writing. I think it, it and it's a nice book to have on your shelf. And it's it's educational, right? It, mm. Like I said, we don't or I don't know anything about Asian food. I, or I feel like I know very little when I look at this book. So it's an important step in raising the profile of many different regions cuisine so I, I i do think it does deserve a place but people should probably be aware that it's not going to be something you're yeah. 
pulling off the shelf on a Tuesday night. It's just, it's yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, apart from those those key things that we talked about, of like sauces and yeah, vinaigrettes that you might you might you might not even need the book for after you've made them twice. Yeah. So, is there anything that you would want to go back to that's not sweet? The asparagus dish that I mentioned, yeah. just because he makes a miso butter that sounds really delicious. And I think he says it's almost like a hollandaise when it brings it all together. So it's kind of a riff on mm. Eggs Benedict, which sounds really good. Nice. But apart from that, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. The Christina Tosi ones for sure. But again, they're like a dessert. They're mm. not a cake that you're going to just have that sits around for a couple of days. That's probably for like a fancy plated meal that you would make those. And they're also cereal milk, for example, is yeah. labor intensive and long to make. Yeah. That, and also it requires a lot of milk, right? <laughs> you, need a, you need a lot of it to make it right, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, this is it. This book is just, it's by restaurant chefs. Um, who mm. have the equipment, who have the access to loads of ingredients, and it, it shows, let's just say. But yeah. I mean, of course, there's a market for people who want to recreate that at home. It's just not me because I'm a lazy little shit. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we give it a little right. rating? Yeah. So to remind everyone, we give each book our cookbook circle rating out of five. And this is based on the usability of the book, accessibility, are the recipes easy to follow, the ingredients, are they things that you would have to hand, the aesthetics of the book. I say aesthetics funny, but here we are. And the veggie friendliness of the book. For each chef, we customise the rating. So for Simon Hopkinson, we had calf's brains. Because he loved them so. And for Ottolenghi, we had obscure ingredients, which maybe we Mm -hmm. should have saved for old Dave Chang, actually. (laughs) For David Chang, we're going to rate him out of five little piggies because he loves them very much. And pork and ham and bacon (laughs) appear everywhere in this book. So, Vic, how many piggies out of five are you going to give Mama Fuku? (laughs) Um, So I'm giving it three piggies out of five piggies. Um, and I think I'm being a bit hard on it. I wanted it to get five. When I first got it and I first started reading it, I was like, this is going to be the first five I give. Wow. But if you hold it up against our rating system, it just doesn't it doesn't hold up. Are the recipes easy to read and follow? Is it accessible? Is it usable? I think yes. I think there are some chefy techniques in there, but I do think you can find little piggy gems where you, you can get through it. It's not completely incomprehensible. The ingredients aren't all things that you would have in your larder. It's absolutely beautiful and it's absolutely not vegetarian friendly. <laughs> so it gets marks knocked off for those things. So it gets a, a three from me, despite it being a very exciting book that I'm thrilled to have in my life. We almost need an additional criteria for the like excitement level. It's like a little fangirl meter, yeah. Like the interest level, <laughs> like even if you aren't going to make the recipes or it, it's just something to learn from or it's educational in a sense. So yeah, yeah watch this space. We'll, we'll fix that for, you know, three seasons time. <laughs> Anyway, how many piggies would you like to give this little piggy? I think I have to be harsh here and I am going to give it two little piggies out of five. (gasps) I know, I feel bad. I feel bad. I never want to do that. And like I said, it's if I could give it a brownie point for excitement levels and just pure something different that's not, you know, 
we don't need another recipe for lasagna or, you know. The two marks are based on the aesthetics and a combination of the usability and accessibility. I think maybe a half mark each for those. But in terms of edgy friendliness, mm. absolutely not. I'm sorry. And I don't think he'd care <laughs> that he lost that point there. And <laughs> I don't think that little piggy would be crying all the way home. Ew. And the ingredients, I can't give it a mark for that because it was just really challenging to find a lot of the things locally and and that's a bit of a commitment so yeah tough hannah bad cop in the house two piggies out of five boom wow (laughs) the first rearing of hannah's bad cop head on the podcast i feel tables have turned i'm gonna like go cry in a corner after we stop recording because i'll feel so (laughs) bad but something tells me he'll be all right yeah he'll he'll manage do you want to tell us about next time's book? Yes, I do. <laughs> Where in the world are we going with this book? Well, initially I thought this book would be mostly Spanish, but actually I feel like Mediterranean would be a, a, a more accurate reflection. Like there's some Moroccan, there's some Turkish and Middle Eastern stuff, as well as the Spanish influence. And the book that we will be doing in the next episode is... Moro by <laughs> Sam and Sam Clark. And it's good. It's a change for us. We've done French. We've done Asian now. We've done British. So it's it's nice to try something new. And I think when we first thought about this list, I guess we expected that the, the top 25, whatever, would be all French. Yeah. Right? So, you know, it's nice to have a break from French. Yeah. As we've seen, I clearly <laughs> don't love that. Anyway. We're excited. We are excited. We're looking forward to that one. I think that's it. I think that is it. You are right, <laughs> Victoria. That is it. Shall we say bye? <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Cookbook Circle. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you've enjoyed it, please leave us a review as it helps others to find us. You can see how the recipes from this episode turned out on our Instagram at Cookbook Circle. And if you make anything from the books we talk about, please don't forget to tag us. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.